What's up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of Back Office Outfront. Today on the show, we have Brandon Rhodes, the Director of Strategic Partnerships at Overtime. Overtime is a digital media brand with the express goal of captivating the Gen Z audience, and it's been able to do so with levels of engagement like essentially none other before. While it's not the direct goal of the company, Overtime has become somewhat of a free marketing agency for many teenage athletes, and building up their personal brands has been mutually beneficial for both the company and the individual. Many middle school and high school kids know more about a high school basketball player than even a lot of professional athletes, and the social media stats back that up. Much of this can be attributed to overtime, and their constant coverage both on and almost more importantly off the court of a bunch of these high school athletes. Brandon will discuss his journey from Gatorade to overtime, working with these youth athletes, and convincing brands to buy into the market of the teenage star. I'd also like to apologize in advance my internet connection cut out mid-interview, so there'll be a slightly awkward transition in the middle. Just wanted to give a heads up and say sorry about that, and I'm working on that internet problem. That being said, let's get into the show. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Back Office Outfront. I'm your host, Adam Bernstein, and today I have Brandon Rhodes with me. Brandon, how are you doing today? Doing well, man. Thanks for having me. So I usually like to start off with your time at school. I personally know a little bit about that myself, but just for the audience who doesn't, can you just talk a bit about what you did in school, both inside and outside of the classroom? Sure. Yeah. I went to the University of Michigan um, and I grew up in Grand Rapids and I, and I kind of knew that by the time I had become a sophomore that I wanted to do something in the sports industry. Um, and I, and by that time I had a love for law. I just grew up watching like law and order and different legal shows. So I thought to myself that, you know, if I could pursue a sports agent track and kind of do sports management and then end up going to law school, it'd be a great thing. And my sister was a senior at the time in high school and she was doing some visits and I went with her to Michigan. And that's when I found out they had the sport management program. So I ended up going to Michigan um, I studied sport management and then actually freshman year, I don't really tell this that often, um, a lot of my hallmates were all talking about Ross and how amazing it was. And I didn't even really know about the business school and, and how good it was. So I was kind of taking all the right classes anyway, econ and, and so on and so forth. So I decided to apply for Ross and I got in. Um, so I did a, a dual degree in business and sport management. And then I had a Spanish minor as well because I had taken you know, four years of Spanish in high school, had the AP test. My plan all along was to become a lawyer. Uh, there's actually this program that if you got a 3.8 GPA um, all the way through school, you could get into Michigan Law School pretty much wow. without certain other requirements. Um, so that was like my goal for like two years. And then I realized uh, that the sports agent track really wasn't for me once I started talking to more people in the industry and once um, I took some different classes, I realized what that entailed. So I, I started to fall in love with marketing. So from there, um, it was all about getting internships. Um, and I, I interned with the athletic department in the marketing team. Um, it was doing a lot of just base level work, going out, doing promotions at the games, um, but then as, you know, as I went through it that year, I got more and more responsibility. Yeah. Um, but what that taught me was, is that I really don't want to be in collegiate athletics, um, but I do really like marketing. So that kind of gave me some more information. Around that same time, um, I, you know, Dustin Cairo and I met and we 
both have the idea to start the Michigan Sport Business Conference. Um, I was a sophomore at the time. Um, it took about it took two years to get off the ground. The first year we went to do it, we we failed. We weren't going to get um, all the speakers and sponsors and everything that we wanted, so we decided to delay it and do it my senior year. He was actually already graduated, mm -hmm. um, but MSBC was probably the biggest thing that helped me. Um, get into the industry because I made a ton of different connections, um, proved that I could build something from scratch, you know, built a team of 30 people, had Steven Ross the first year and sold out, you know, the 500 person event, which was amazing for me at the time. Um, and then the, the last big highlight um, was interning at Gatorade my junior year. Um, so starting MSBC helped, helped me along that path, but it was through business school recruiting um, so I, so I did that internship and then I was able to come back full time, um, right after I graduated to Gatorade. Yeah. So you said that marketing was something that you were set on during your time in school. Was it just marketing in a broad sense or was there like a specific niche that you were really interested in? No, it was really broad at the time. You know, I, I kind of thought, yeah, I had taken, um, marketing in the business school. Yeah. And I, and I like the process of, I guess, what you would call brand development, because uh, that's kind of what they were teaching at the time, brand development 101. How do you think about a brand from the beginning? You know, what is the segment? What's the target? What's the mm -hmm. positioning? What's the pricing? Um, so just learning the nuts and bolts of that. And, my, and I found that interesting and, and strategic. So in a broad sense, I was interested in it. And then for me, the natural extension was, okay, if I'm not going to be an agent, I want to do marketing. Why don't I do like player marketing? Right. Um, so that was kind of my first thought. But then once um, I started seeing the recruiting on campus for the business school, you know, there were probably only three or four different internships out of, you know, all the, the Ross recruiting because most yeah. of them were accounting and finance. Um, and PepsiCo was one of them. And mm -hmm. I had a, a friend who was one year older um, who was on the MSBC team, uh, Craig Ashinsky, if he mm -hmm. ever sees this. Um, he interned for Pepsi in New York in sports marketing the summer before. So that kind of gave me a vision like, oh, that sounded really interesting. Um, and from there, uh, he kind of helped coach me up for the interview. And I knew I really, it would be a dream job if I could get a Gatorade internship because it combined everything from, you know, sports branding, um, more traditional CPG marketing, yeah. uh, which I found to be super valuable, you know, going forward in my career. So, yeah, and I know you were at Gatorade for a while and you had a bunch of different positions. Um, could you just briefly run through a few of those and just what you did over time? Yeah, my, my first couple years, um, I actually was kind of a continuation of the internship project that I did. Um, my, my job was on the innovation and design team. All of this is within the marketing organization. Right. Um, and, and really what I was doing there was really going into the pro athlete space into the locker room and working with our, what they call team sports managers who really work with athletic trainers, strength coaches, uh, dietitians, and understanding what are, what are all the Gatorade products that they need in the pro and elite locker rooms in college, you know, pro soccer, football, basketball, there's nuances to each one. And then I would work with, you know, our industrial designers, our agency, I would work with an innovation agency and I work with our team internally, um, R&D to then go build these products that were meant to be for the locker room, as we called it. And then from there, um, once we, they were kind of proven in the locker room and the sidelines, occasionally we would then take that product um, and bring it into retail. Um, yeah. So I'd manage that entire project, that cross-functional team that brought 
um, let's call it a Gatorade, a new Gatorade bottle that has different technology on in it, more insulation, a different valve. We would then bring that into, let's say, Dick's Sporting Goods to start mm-hmm. because that's a more premium retailer. Um, but I would create that strategy, lead that team, and usher it through the process. Um, so that was super fun and interesting. Like I, I had never thought about you know design, um, but that really taught me a different lens of design thinking and just how to approach problems in certain ways. Very interesting and really like work with the insights team a lot, which was fundamental. Um, and then from there, I moved to the global team, um, and I did that for two years. And it, and one of the projects I worked on the innovation design side was kind of all this new technology called the GX system. Mm-hmm. Um, it was really trying to create personalized formulas for each player um, and then create a digital software suite uh, so okay. that the coaches or the trainers could recommend product in real time, you know, based on the player's mm-hmm. history, based on their pro- sweat profile, based on the weather that day, based on the activity you're going to do. So it's a really complex process, but it was a fun project. And then when I went to the global team, basically the remit there was to build the brand and build the business outside the US. But mm-hmm. one of the projects I got to take over was implementing GX with a lot of the global soccer teams, uh, yep. global football, as we called it on the team, right? So I was working with FC Barcelona, Arsenal, Man City, uh, Juventus, trying to get this new technology in there, which was awesome. And working with our Sports Science Institute team very closely, because they were embedded in these teams, like helping create the nutrition plans and, and do personalized things. Uh, so it's really interesting cutting edge technology. Um, and outside of that specific project, there was a lot of you know campaigns, um, working with the US team, what are you guys doing, what's the strategy, how do we implement some of that stuff abroad? Um, then it was eventually launching new products as well. Uh, one of my favorite projects was um, trying to create a new sub brand, we call it Gatorade Football Club. So it's essentially um, our first sports specific product that we had developed uh, specifically for 90 minutes. Uh, we worked with FC Barcelona and our sports science team to develop the product. Um, and you can kind of see the threads through my first job to my second one, right? Yeah. I got to go from the beginning in the end of creating a new product, new brand around it, and then launch it in different markets across the world. Super fun. Yeah, that is really, really cool. Was it a lot of working with the team as a whole or did you work with the individual athletes more so? Or was it a balance of the two? It, it's a balance, um, but you know, we, we had uh, Messi, we had a couple other athletes. Um, a couple were managed out of the global team. Uh, yeah. It wasn't my specific job to manage the relationship, but I dealt with them a lot. You know, I right. a couple shoots uh, with Messi, uh, probably three or four different shoots with Messi, which is incredible. So yeah, I got to, I got to be around a lot of athletes during that time. Yeah. Um, but I, I specifically dealt more with the teams. Yeah. Um, and then also dealing with, you know, our U.S. Um, our U.S. sports marketing team who had the NBA. So then like, how do we extend the NBA relationship overseas? Mm-hmm. How do we extend Serena and Michael Jordan and all these other athletes overseas because they're globally relevant? Uh, so it was a lot of that work, too. Um, but, yeah, I love that job. That was I, like as a, you know, what, a, I don't know, 23 to 26 year old, like I was mm-hmm. traveling the world. I probably went once a month you know overseas and then would always get to extend that trip with a personal trip um so that was a that was an amazing job to have at that time in my life and then my last job at gatorade was digital um so all things digital um, but most notably i was running all of our social media accounts and i was uh, creating kind of some of these digital campaigns and and we were always known for 
uh, doing things that were really breakthrough and innovative. Um, so right before I got that job, they had done the Snapchat uh, dunk lens for the Super Bowl. And that was kind I of the talk that, of the yeah. town. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Kenny Mitchell, who's a mentor of mine, he's not the CMO of Snap, but he was the head of marketing for Gatorade at the time. Um, uh-huh. So that was the notable, the huge like industry breaking thing at the time. And right. I came into the job kind of right after that, maybe right. a year after that. So I had to kind of back that up. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was <laughs> the, yeah, we, we, we had fun. We won some awards. Uh, we, we had some, some record business results in those in, in that year and a couple of years leading up to that as well. Um, and, you know, some fun things like working with Giphy on, for, I was one of the first brands to, to work with them. Um, and, and create this kind of whole campaign around the Super Bowl, which went super well and was, was really fun. Um, we kind of built different apps and digital products. Uh, one of one fun thing that we did was we built a VR game uh, with Peyton Manning. He was kind of your coach. and You had to like beat these blitzers who were coming at you mm-hmm. um, and then throw the ball into rings. Um, so I got to build that from scratch with an agency and it was like going there once a week and just like at first it was just a ring. And then it was a stadium and then it mm-hmm. was Peyton Manning. We had to record him. Um, so it's very fun projects like that. Um, and then most notably, this is like a transition project is like I worked on um, this thing called the debut, uh, which was with Twitter. Um, and we went out and we filmed eight high school basketball games. Um, and I got to help basically be the commissioner of this mini broadcast that we created. Mm-hmm. Um, and we had Zion Williamson. Uh, you probably know that name. We I'm had uh, Trey Jones, uh, who's at Duke now. Yeah. Um, we had R.J. Barrett. We had um, wow. Bo Bol, mm-hmm. Julian Newman. So we were kind of like going on this tour. Um, and, you know, I got to help get the talent, like Rachel Demita, Baron Davis, Nate Robinson. We were trying to do all these different things, like have emojis pop up, have a, like a fan cam, go into the student sections, like a super fun project for me. Um, but ultimately, that's how I got in touch with Overtime, um, because I brought Overtime on board. And I was, if not the first, one of the first uh, brands to work with Overtime mm-hmm. um, when I was at Gatorade. And that's how I got in um, when they were very early stage. And it was kind of Zach, um, Zach, who's the co-founder, and right. Tom, who leads social media. They were kind of leading the deal. So I was like dealing with them on a day-to-day basis and got to see them from the inside. So yeah, that was my next question. So what was the process of like, you saw them, you got to see what they were doing and then how did that work with you jumping over and how many employees were there at the time when you officially started working there, give or take? Yeah, I mean, the, the thing is like, I, when I was at Gatorade, one of my big projects was to revamp the entire social voice. Yeah. Um, and I was really passionate about that. You know, I'm a, I'm a big consumer of social media myself and I always was, and I loved Instagram. Like I felt like we could you know, do a lot on Instagram. Mm-hmm. Um, but as I looked at the landscape and like who's doing it well, like overtime stood out to me as like this brand that was tapping into Gen Z that was talking in an authentic voice and doing it right. Um, so I had already kind of had my eye on them and then this project came up and it was the perfect time, perfect thing uh, to bring them in on. And yeah, and I knew in my heart, um, from my experience with MSBC and just other Mm -hmm. things that entrepreneur, entrepreneurship was kind of the route that I wanted to take my, my career in my life. so all those factors like combined at once. And this is, I think they, when I did the deal, there was probably between 10 to 15 people, let's call it okay. over time. Uh, so they were really small, um, but they had this technology that allowed them to basically be everywhere and seem a lot bigger than they were. Um, 
so yeah, I thought it was cool. Um, I love what they were doing. I worked with them. I liked the way they worked. Like they, these guys were hustling. Like they were emailing back at 10 o'clock, 11 o'clock, mm-hmm. like instant responses. Um, so I was like, okay, these guys are hustling. And then I just did a little more due diligence um, after the project. Um, and they, I looked up more about Dan, who's the other co-founder. He had started and sold a couple companies already. One to Zynga. Um, he sold a ticket company, the Ticketmaster. And he also was one of the early presidents for Teach for America. So I'm thinking, yeah. okay, so this guy is like a legend. Um, Zach's amazing. You know, I, I kind of saw ourselves as like very similar in terms of how we approach things strategically, you know, hardworking, smart. Um, and then their product right now, although, you know, I think they probably had a less than a million followers. Right. Um, the product was really good. Like I could tell that, you know, the, they had product market fit at the time, I guess mm-hmm. is what I could say. It's like, okay, so now all they need to do is continue to grow and do the same thing they're doing, but then also build a business around it. Yeah. Um, and then the last thing was that they, they raised a series a um, and had announced that. And then they hired um, a couple of kind of executive level people, a CFO, um, a head of production, chief content officer, and then the head of sales and the head of sales happened to be um, from Snapchat. Um, yeah. Alex Grant is his name. And he actually did the deal with Kenny to do the okay. Snapchat Dunk of Gatorade. Mm-hmm. So yeah, everything came around um, and, and Alex ended up helping me um, navigate that process because he was the only kind of monetization guy there and he, he definitely needed help, but they also didn't have a role for me. So I had to go in and just interview with everybody, talk to everybody, mm-hmm. kind of convince them that I was smart and I could do different things. <laughs> yeah. And then they ended up creating a space for me. And I think I was about number 20 or so. Yeah, got you. So covering high school basketball is not necessarily a new thing. Like, like you mentioned, Gatorade was doing it when you were there. And like, I mean, even in middle school, I remember watching like a cool car and Trey Jefferson and Aaron Gordon, you know, back when he was in high school, when I was in seventh grade or whatever. Um, What do you, and like on ball is life, hoop mixtape, these were all around before overtime. So what do you think that overtime is doing? I mean, overtime is, I think objectively doing it better and it's more successful than those entities ever were. Why do you think that is? Yeah, I mean, I think it's, I think it's, ultimately, it's the vision of mm-hmm. the company. Um, when I interviewed uh, with Dan and Zach, I left that interview very inspired, because yeah. the types of things that they were talking about, and the questions they were asking were so different than if you were to interview with one of those companies you just named, right? Right? Like, I think Ball is Life, by the way, I, I still consume Ball is Life. I'm, I'm a fan Likewise. of what they do. Um, and I grew up on those Akil Carr mixtapes, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, and Austin Rivers mixtapes or whoever else, John Wall. So um, they do a great job at that. And But I think if you were to ask their founders what the vision was, it was to be the best high school basketball, you know, yeah. mixtape provider, which they have been probably for a long time. Whereas when I went into overtime, it was – hey, we're going to be, you know, the the worldwide leader in, in sports for Gen Z, right? So that's a much broader aperture and vision. Yeah, yeah. So they were looking at attacking Gen Z in total and looking at it through a digital lens. So when you when you do that, it's much broader. And you could see, you know, they were looking at, look, Kylie Jenner has launched Kylie Cosmetics. So right. what could Overtime do from a product perspective? 
they were asking me, should we be doing events for brands? Should we be looking at buying a league? Should we be looking at going overseas and how do we get into soccer? So it was already a much bigger idea um, than just kind of high school basketball. Um, And I think what people don't realize is that, you know, high school basketball is a great market entry point because, you know, we don't, we didn't have a billion dollars. You know, we weren't the zone. We weren't going to go buy the rights and compete on rights in the beginning. You know, you know, Turner has a lot of those rights. Uh, So we had to do something different. So that's why we started there and we built a massive audience and we completely changed the way that high school was covered. You know, it was no longer about rankings, recruiting, stats, you know, none of our videos say anything about stats, right? Yeah. It's all about who are the people you care about? You know, what are their personalities? What are they doing in their day-to-day life? Um, and then how do we create, you know, long-form episodic content around that, that people want to see their peers, right? Like, I think Zion going into Duke had more followers than 90% of the NFL. Mm-hmm. But nobody was really covering anything outside of the dunks, right? So we had the dunks, and then everybody picked those up. But then we also had, you know, full scale videos about his life, his day to day, him going to games, you know, him at the McDonald's All-American game and everything else. Yeah. So that perfectly perfectly leads into the next thing that I was going to ask was I personally think a big part of the success has been covering them off the court. And um, I know that's something that, you know, hasn't been emphasized as much by some of your competitors in the past. And I'd say like Zion and Lamella Ball and Mikey Williams, whoever you want to name is probably like the most notable 16 year olds or at the time when they were that age since, you know, Justin Bieber or something like that. So how much of that off the court brand building is emphasized internally compared to specifically emphasizing the gameplay? Yeah, it's huge. I mean, for us, it's about story, right? Right. Like, you know, Mark, our, our head of content, you know, often talks about, you know, different types of content, reality based content, right? Like we don't necessarily compare ourselves all the time to different sports companies. So we're really looking at showing a very authentic lens into the athlete's life through their own voice. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's what, I think that's what resonates, right? That's why people who aren't a sports fan can, can watch last chance you, right? Right. That's why that show does so well. Cause you don't care if they win or lose the game. You don't care, you know, about the team. You're not a fan of the team. You just get sucked into those stories. Um, mm-hmm. So that's what we do. Uh, we do storytelling and we, and we do it really well. Um, I, I think our content team's phenomenal. Um, and they find they they're really data driven. So they find out, you know, what athletes are resonating, what stories are resonating through short form. And we have a ton of short form. And then we take that data and then we do long form um, based on that. Yeah. And going off that long form, moving a bit into your field with the partnerships, I know that, you know, Hello Newman, for example, was sponsored by Boost Mobile. And that's I mean, a lot of that is covering the Newman family away from basketball. Same with Super Team is about prolific prep and that's sponsored by Body Armor. How hard was it to, I don't know what specifically you were involved in and all that pitching and stuff, but in general, how hard is it to pitch a company on sponsoring something about a high school kid, basketball player, covering their family and things like that away from the court and has it gotten easier over time, no pun intended, since, you know, it's been successful? Yeah, I mean, when I started, again, it was me and Alex, and we were building the business by ourselves. And although over time had a large audience, um, you know, we were doing probably hundreds of millions of views a month at the time when I started, you know, we had a very somewhat large audience um, that the industry didn't know anything about overtime yet. Mm -hmm. Right. So like when I would walk into Nike, 
like maybe a few people would know or the younger people would know, but you know, the, the senior director who was making the budget decision didn't know who overtime was. So in the beginning, it was a lot of that leveraging relationships, but also just getting out and having as many meetings as possible. So we can yeah. educate people, Hey, this is what overtime is doing. This is why you should pay attention. And this is why you should consider it. So that was, that was a while of just building that base and foundation. And we would do a couple deals here and there. Um, but that was, that was the initial. Um, and then once you kind of do that and you continue to grow and you can show those metrics, um, you know, it, it becomes easier and easier to do those deals. It's, it's never easy. Um, you know, it's, there's a lot of competition. There's a lot of different places where people can spend their money, uh, whether that's TV, print, digital, out of home, audio. Um, and then with each, within each of those categories, there's a million options. So it's never right. easy, but you know, it's about building um, a great relationship and, and having a great product. Mm -hmm. um, and we reach a very valuable audience, as you know, because you're part of it, right? Mm -hmm. Like that audience is very hard to retain and keep their attention. And we're, I think, one of the few people in sports that is, that is doing it. Um, so with that, you're able to attract those advertisers who want to reach that audience. Yeah. Um, so I would say it's not very hard um, to convince them to cover something off the court. Um, because it's really working for our platform. So that's what they gravitate toward. Yeah, I guess the numbers don't lie, regardless of what, you know, the content is. And I'm curious also, but I know you said you were considering law school for a bit, and that isn't the path you ended up taking, but the legality behind all of it. So something with like that, or the takeover, or Converse, put their brand on it. When you're basing something around high school kids, is it as long as the kids aren't taking in any of that revenue, all of it's legal and fair game, or how does all of that work if you know any of the intricacies to it? Yeah, the, the, simple, the simple way of explaining it is, is as long as there's no um, direct or implied endorsement yeah. from the, the athlete, then it's usually fine. So just as if you're watching a high school game on ESPN, a commercial runs, but that commercial has nothing to do right. with the actual game or the player saying that, hey, drink body armor. So that's, yeah. that's a distinction. Got you. Okay. And then two more questions before I let you go. So the first one, this is kind of totally switching gears a bit, but uh, so this whole show is about athletes as business people. And I think that it's awesome that you're kind of building up these kids' brands and kind of making them business people at young ages. But something that, you know, current day professional athletes are doing a lot more of is investing. And I know that KD was part of your, I believe, a Series A round in addition to the Andrew, Andrews and Horowitz that had the uh, cultural leadership fund and it had a bunch of notable names like Nas, Will Smith, Diddy, David Stern, and I was also an investor. Do you know, has that had some sort of tangible influence on the company? And can you point to anything in, in particular of how an investment from someone like a notable name like that has been different than a traditional VC? Yeah. Um, yeah. The late David Stern was right. invested in the seed round um, and he was amazing and, and very important from a strategy standpoint. Uh, Kevin was in the A round. And then in the B round, we had uh, Carmelo Anthony, Victor Oladipo, oh, wow. um, and probably in a, in a few others, uh, Baron Davis as well. Mm -hmm. um, so I, I think, you know, it, depend, it depends on the athlete. Each person is different, right? So it, one thing it definitely helps with in the early days is like when nobody knows you, they can, you can go in and say Kevin Durant's an investor and that, right. that really helps. Can't hurt, um, yeah. But yeah, everybody, everybody provides value in different ways and that goes for VCs and athletes. It just depends on what they're interested in, right? Some want to be in content, um, some want to executive produce, some want to help more on strategy and introductions, some want to um, come together and partner to create something new. So it's really just about um, understanding um, in the upfront and ongoing kind of where that interest lies. And then you go from there and 
you can you can definitely derive some different value um, from working with athletes just because they know the space, they're authentic, they're in it, um, and they can give you some different insights sometimes than yeah. just the general business person. Yeah, and the last question that I always like to ask is someone in my shoes, a college kid looking to get into working in either sports, marketing, working with athletes, startup culture, anything like that, do you have one piece of advice that you would say to get from point A to B is the best thing to follow? Yeah, um, I, I, I think it's networking and internships. Um, and I, I throw relationships on top of that. I mm-hmm. think networking involves relationships, but people oftentimes aren't great at maintaining them. Right. Um, so if you're, you know, networking, you know, strategically in terms of, you know, if you're a student, pretty much everyone's going to pick up the phone, um, or a large majority of people will pick up the phone. So when I was a student, I, I had hundreds of informational interviews and that's kind yeah. of a part we glossed over, but that's, you know, how did I understand that? brand marketing was more interesting than doing marketing at a team. Like I talked to a hundred people and saw what was interesting to me, what they learned, you know, the lessons from them. I think that's highly important. And then also networking with your peers because you're all going to rise together and be at different places and then do business together, do deals together. It's going to make you more effective. Internships is where you get the firsthand experience. Um, It's can lead to a job directly, but it can also lead to you saying, I didn't like this, which is highly important when you're a student. Right. Um, It's basically trying to accelerate um, the amount of information you're taking in so that you can find out what you want to do faster. I think that's the way I think about it for both. And then relationships is just maintaining it, everything long term. Right. Mm -hmm. It's like you could just meet somebody, talk to them once, but then if you don't have a relationship, it doesn't matter. so that's, it's always got to be long-term and that goes for as a student or as where I'm at now, you don't want to do just one deal with somebody and then it'd be done. Like you want to do a deal and you want it to be amazing and then you want to do 20 deals you know, down the line. So that's how I approach everything is from a relationship lens. For sure. That's awesome. Thank you so, so much for stopping by. I will talk to you soon. All right. Thanks, Adam. Appreciate you. Bye. Huge shout out to Brandon for coming on to the show. Thank you so much. I had an amazing time talking to you. And for my parting words for this episode, I'm going to read out a few statistics. So I was doing some research into the most followed athletes who got their start, theoretically, through overtime. Zion and Trey Young were close to the top of that list, but obviously you could say that their followings were bolstered due to their success in the NBA and in college, respectively. So we're not going to count them. Following them comes three names of Lamella Ball, Bronny James, and Sharif O'Neal. Obviously, LaMelo Ball is related to Lonzo and LeVar and LiAngelo. Bronny is obviously related to LeBron James himself, and Sharif related to Shaq. So you could argue that their following is largely due to their family presence, so we can throw them out too. Up next in terms of Instagram following comes Mikey Williams. Mikey Williams gained his following solely through overtime. There's no connection to some outside famous family, anything like that. Mikey Williams, a 16-year-old basketball player born in the year 2004, has 2.2 million followers on Instagram, largely due to overtime. To put that number into perspective, 2.2 million Instagram followers is more than the following names. Mike Trout, Julio Jones, De'Aaron Fox, Bryce Harper, Christian McCaffrey, Aaron Donald, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, and last but certainly not least, Tiger Woods. This 16-year-old basketball player has more of an Instagram following than all of those athletes. All of those legends will probably be in the Hall of Fame in their respective sports. And Mikey Williams, the 16-year-old, currently has more following than all of them. And that's really powerful. 
and that's what overtime has to offer. If it wasn't clear then, I hope that makes it crystal clear. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. I'll be back soon. Talk to you then.